Hello, I'm Mark and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. This week we're going to think about how you can use a podcast to reach people that otherwise might not know about your research uh, and achieve benefits for those people. Now, as a lot of my colleagues who have podcasts, uh, and many of these are academic podcasts for my peers, what we're talking about here is the medium of podcasts for reaching publics, stakeholders, people beyond the academy who, as a result of engaging with your podcast, learn new things, perhaps are able to do new things, and that changes their lives for the better. Uh, I'm here with James Daybell, who is a professor of early modern history at University of Plymouth. Uh, and uh, I've, I'm already feeling a, a combination of inspired and intimidated by, by your podcast, James. Um, uh, so, so James's podcast uh, goes out to, I think, one and a half million uh, uh, people or downloads, one and a half million downloads. Yeah. One and a half million downloads uh, per year, um, uh, and uh, and you're currently on tour. Uh, so you basically you've got a podcast which is so successful that your podcast now goes on tour, and uh, and you're mid tour with this as well, reaching school children, uh, adults, uh, with uh, people that would otherwise not engage with history, who are engaging because of your podcast. So uh, for me, this is an incredible success story, and I would love to find out how on earth you did this, James. So tell us a little bit more about your role and your research, but then tell us why the podcast and how on earth did this all start? Okay, well, I am, I'm a professor of history at the University of Plymouth. Uh, I'm a professor of early modern history, so I'm a Tudor and Stuart specialist. Um, and this came about because as a historian, I was always grappling with how to do impact. You know, I basically work on old documents that you know very few people... Uh, read or are interested in and I, I was struggling with this idea of how do you actually make impact out of that and so the way in which I developed this was through a podcast brand uh, with a, a friend and TV historian uh, Sam Willis and it's called Histories of the Unexpected uh, which in its infancy was supported by Dan Snow, and it was part of his History Hit network, along with Yanina Ramirez and Jim Holland's um, Chalk Valley uh, history podcast, so the big festival. So for those who don't know who Dan Snow is, uh, who is he and how did you get in train with him? For those of you who don't know who Dan Snow is, Dan Snow is a TV historian, uh, the son of Peter Snow, the, um, the guy on the, on the news and the guy who at election time is on the sort of electionometer. And he was basically setting up this new platform to democratize history. And uh, Sam Willis, a friend of mine, uh, who I do this podcast with, had been down the Grand Canyon with him, was very good friends with him. And he was setting up this podcast at the time. And so we became part of that sort of part of that network. And it came about totally serendipitously. Uh, Sam Willis, I knew, uh, he sent me a text one day and said, I'm thinking of starting a new podcast. Um, shall we meet up and have coffee? Are you interested in being a guest on it? So we met up, had coffee, and he started talking to me about the history of Windows as a sort of, as a, sort of uh, a mode of inquiry. 
and um, and he said that he, he said that basically he was doing a tour around HMS Victory. So it's, it's this huge sort of you know 18th century warship, um, and the extraordinary thing about it is it has this basically what looks like an enormous greenhouse on the back of it. And he said that he was giving a tour around this, and somebody asked him what's that all about, and he didn't know. And so he went and found out, and it became about the Enlightenment and ways of looking. And, I, and he said, so the history of you know, Windows is all about looking and Enlightenment. And I said, it's not. It's actually all about chucking people out of Windows. It's about the defenestration of Prague and the start of the Thirty Years' War. So Windows became a sort of different way. Or it's about smashing Windows. And what we found was that we had this kind of germ of a concept about how to make the kind of high-end you know, ref output history that I do kind of accessible. And so what developed was a brand called Histories of the Unexpected, which takes everyday subjects and draws the links between them in really interesting ways. And so what we did was we talked to Dan Snow about hosting this, um, and he said yes. And this started what was about a two or three year series of weekly podcasts on all sorts of topics ranging from windows and zombies and letters which I and archives which I work on uh, married with uh, with an interest in in communicating history to as broad an audience as possible so in a sense what it was was it was undermining or not undermining but it was it was basically undercutting the sort of mainstream public history platforms of the BBC or of Channel 4 or of Channel 5 or National Geographic, setting up our own sort of digital network that would, would allow us to reach a much wider and more diverse audience. So in a sense, it's a sort of, it's democratizing history. Yeah, and this is the, the power of social media, of podcasts, that you don't need to have those gatekeepers. You can create your own programs and, and reach your own audiences. Uh, the, the question is, how do you actually get this to those people and do it at scale? And I think the first thing that I'm taking from what you said is that you need a great idea. Uh, you need that concept. Uh, and, uh, and so you've got this, this idea you were describing earlier on to me, the, 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 the episode you made about the history of, of an orange um, yes. and, and just where that goes and how unexpected it is and, and how enthralling that is, even just yes. from that little window into that, yep. that one episode. Uh, and and to what extent was that, well, hey, that's just an amazing idea, or was there kind of a market research type thing? Has anyone else done this? Uh, how, how do you come up with an idea that is going to resonate? What kind of ideas do resonate? What is it you think about this that has enabled you, in part, to get the audience that you now have? It's really hard to answer that, because I think what, it's, what it stemmed from was exactly that conversation. Um, and it's the, and I think the success of the podcast in some ways is about the relationship between Sam and myself. You know, it's a genuinely collaborative thing. We both are trained as in different kinds of history. So he's a maritime historian and archaeologist and also a great sort of communicator. You know, he's produced over 10 documentaries for BBC National Geographic. So he, he brings that sort of expertise to it. I'm somebody who is trained as, a, as an empirical historian, uh, used to sort of dealing with documents and objects. Um, and so I bring that sort of expertise to it. But I suppose it was, it, it's, then, it's then that kind of fusion of those 
interests that led to this. And it was something that came about quite unexpectedly. And we trialled it with four items at first. We started with the window, we started with the orange, then we did something on smoke, and then I can't remember what came next, but I think it was, it was it were very quickly we were into a chimneys, the history of the chimney. Um, so it, you know, we trialled it on those and didn't release it. And then we, we then showed those podcasts to people and said, what do you think of this? And people liked them. Um, and then from that, the, the, the podcast was born. And I think one of the reasons why it is so, why it's been so long running is that we've developed a concept that can essentially be applied to everything. You know, we were talking earlier on about, about this podcast and you were saying that, um, that, you know, you do it sort of episodically um, and there's a season for it. And, and, and in a sense, when you, when you have things to say, you will do the podcast. And in a sense, we, we could do it, the history of everything. And, and we, regularly, we regularly tweet out to our listeners uh, asking them for ideas. And we have, a, we have a list of about 300 future podcasts uh, that, we're going to be, that we're going to be doing. Um, but from the pod, what, what's interesting is also the podcast then led to a book contract. So a crossover popular book called Histories of the Unexpected, How Everything Has a History. And then we had a publisher on board that supported the idea and allowed us some freedom and some funding to do some research and development to develop a series that was then applying that basic concept that we've developed in Histories of the Unexpected to a series of four different areas. Uh, so the, the Vikings, the Romans, um, the Tudors, of which I'm a, history of, a professor of his, Tudor history, uh, and also World War II. So I was suddenly outside of my traditional research comfort zone and you know, writing these sort of very sort of broad uh, in these very sort of broad areas, but using the kind of methodology and concepts that I'd already had. And one of the things that I've been really keen to do throughout is it is threaded with my research, so with research outputs. So I make sure that I manage to get, I, I manage to get the research that I've done on letters and materiality and objects and with museums into it. I make sure that I tie research grants and funded projects into it. So at the moment I'm working with the V&A and the Vassar Museum in Stockholm and I've done a series of podcasts around that. Most recently uh, we, did a, we did a podcast around uh, the Vassar ship uh, which suddenly sort of meant that the Vassar Museum, their podcast got their, their podcast gets about 2,000 listeners you know suddenly in a week we'd got them 10,000 extra extra listeners and people on Twitter were were picking this up and then it was directing people who hadn't seen the Vassar Museum before to go and actually visit it and, and experience it. So it's a very, you know, so it's become, it's become embedded in part of what I do as a historian. The other thing that we've done is we've developed this into a one-hour stage show working with an award-winning playwright, Daniel Jameson, who's translated Michael Morpurgo and other people uh, for the stage. And what he's done is he's taken the book and done it, turned it into a show that will that involves 
props and the two and Sam and I on stage, we actually come on stage with a large trunk full of objects. And so for a historian who's used to working in the manuscript room at the British Library, you know, actually getting out in front of a public audience and performing it, I think what we've done is we've developed a new a new category of sort of almost performance style lecture, which is an entirely new thing for for historians. I couldn't imagine certain certain of my medievalist colleagues, uh, for example, being able to do the same thing. But we literally come on stage with a with a trunk, we open it up, I put on gloves, we've got we pull out cutthroat razors, we've got we've got uh, a chimney that things come out of, we've got um, we have a we have a pocket watch that allows us to you know, talk about the history of the Titanic and the idea of the historical imagination and what happens when you don't know things. You can't answer questions in the past. Um, I even, I even, I've written a book called The Material Letter where I talk about the politics of manuscript space. So exactly where you place the signature on the manuscript page. And I actually act this with a letter from John Donne. So John Donne was a Jacobean uh, poet uh, and theologian, and he marries a woman called Anne Moore um, without her father's permission. Her father is, um, is in charge of the Tower of London. Her uncle is Lord Keeper, and Moore, get, and Moore locks him up, and John Donne writes these sort of you know, groveling letters. And the way in which you would mark deference in that period is if you imagine an A4 sheet of paper and you write halfway down the page and then you tuck your signature in the bottom right-hand corner, this is a sign of deference. So I'm able to talk through to a, an audience of school children, all sorts of people, how this works. And in fact, get down, end up getting down on my knees, sort of begging for forgiveness. So it really is kind of enacting history in a sort of very sort of tangible way. Well, I mean, could you have imagined <laughs> that, that when you started your career that uh, that you would have a podcast, let alone that the podcast would lead to the books that you've then been able to write and to then this this thing? Is it, is it, a, is it a stage show? Is it a lecture? Is it somewhere in between? And... And and the fun that you must have doing yes. that, yeah. as well as the reward of seeing what that does for people, and, and give me a sense of some of the some of the feedback that you get um, from from the podcast and from the other stuff that has come from that podcast. What do you think are, are some of the impacts that have arisen from this? I mean, it, it's uh, there are sort of several groups that I think it it's most tangible with. I mean, and I mean, if you take one group. Um, so we do a lot of work with schools, and we the podcast goes out and is listened to by teachers. It's listened to by ch children. Um, we go into schools and perform in schools. Um, we are part of festivals and a part of the sort of educational program. And I think it the impact that it has in schools is 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 varied. And in one sense, we are the concept is being used by teachers and embedded into the way in which they teach. So the, the example that you talked about with the history of the orange earlier on, um, the history of the orange they use as a way of introducing the gunpowder plot. Um, and this comes about from, this was one of our very earliest podcasts, and, it, and, it, and it's actually, the history of the orange connects to a, a Latin autobiography, if you, if you can imagine that, of, of a Jesuit priest called John Gerard, who during the Elizabethan period was 
imprisoned for his religion, his Catholic religion, when it was outlawed. Um, and he has female sustainers outside of the prison who managed to smuggle him oranges in. And he uses these oranges in various ways. The flesh is used to bribe the illiterate jailer to smuggle things out. He peels the orange and the, the peel becomes a part of his practice, its religious practice, it's turned into rosaries. Um, and the orange juice is used for writing invisible ink. And so the kids love this. And so it's a way in which the teachers enliven and enrich a lesson. But the idea of the, the, the methodology itself is used by teachers all over the, the, the place. I mean, we've got teachers in, in Europe, we've got teachers in the Midwest, in the US, we've got teachers in this country as well who are using it. Um, but one of the most touching uh, emails that I've had is from a teacher in the Midwest who's working with nine and 10 year olds. They're fairly disadvantaged kids, they're underperforming and they've listened to the podcast and she has used the concept of you know everything having a history to sort of get them to look at their own histories and things around them so the history of the donut the history of baseball the history of you know the the baseball cap or whatever and i think what it's done is it's taken a group of kids who you know would not be turned on by history at all and it's just enlivened you know, and enriched their, their, their sort of, their sort of, it's made the subject much more accessible for them. Um, on another level, they're at a time when a lot of funding is being pumped into STEM subjects. I think teachers in UK schools are finding it hard to attract good students into their subjects. So a lot of schools are using it as a way of, um, of basically marketing history so that more kids are going into his, are going into history and studying it as a as a subject, and that is that's really enriching. And then there's sort of continuing education as well. And there are people who, because we're touring this around the country, people often come up to us and just sort of say, "I haven't studied history since I was 11 years old. I hated it at school. It was boring, um, and I wish we'd had a teacher like you." And, you know, who knew history could be so interesting? And that really is one of the most rewarding things. But at another level, I mean, using social media, so we have a, we have a Twitter feed, we've got uh, Instagram, we've got Facebook, we've got a Patreon account, and it means that you've got a body of, of people who follow the, the, the podcast and then get in touch with you. And the kinds of things that they're leaving are you know are really heartwarming and we we have the kind of analytical tools through ACAST which is the platform to to and allow us to look at listener figures um, chronologically uh, we can also look at them geographically so we can we can look at how we're listened to at particular times in about 140 countries around the world and then if you sync that with some of the qualitative stuff that you've got on twitter you know you're able to find people who are really influenced by it in a, in a way that sort of touches their their everyday life so it becomes part of of their daily routines so uh you know there's um um somebody in the mid in the 
in the Middle East, I can't remember where it was, um, Bahrain, I think, uh, who it was, it was part of their morning run, taking the kids to, to school. We have people emailing in saying, you know, when's the next episode coming out? We have people who, who you know, really find it an important part of their, of their life. And, and, you know, people who have got troubles within their personal lives and, and, you know, people, family members who are ill, who have sort of saying how this has sort of enriched um, their lives. We've got heritage professionals who are listening to it and then taking the methodology back into the museum that they're in or the heritage site that they're in. And only this weekend, uh, one of our listeners um, was doing uh, was doing a festival event and was using it to explain the history of the umbrella uh, that everything has a history so it's now being embedded into into heritage tours as well so there's a sort of very diverse range of impacts yeah uh, the, the list of impacts is remarkable uh, and um, uh, and you could never predict this and this is the joy when you put stuff out through platforms like this. Yeah you're global and uh, you don't know who these people are who are listening and in their context this means something very different to what you would ever have predicted uh, and then as you get to find out about that then wow that is what keeps you going and motivates you to do more and more of that uh, i want to, to to finish just by thinking a, a bit more about the practicalities of this so uh, if you're, you're sitting there feeling inspired and thinking, wow, I would like to have impact like that, um, uh, and uh, th then this is very much within reach. Uh, yeah, maybe you need to invest a little bit of money in a microphone. Most computers have got software on it that can record this stuff. Um, uh, you've, uh, you've given me a few quite useful tricks, uh, I have to say. Um, so I've been learning from you, and I will be implementing some of your ideas. Um, but uh, I guess there are two things. So one, technically, what do you need to start a podcast? But I also want to avoid people getting excited and then podcasting into space and getting 10 downloads a week and thinking, you know what, why did I bother wasting my time on this? And tell us some of the things that, that early on were really important for you to, to really expand your listener base so maybe maybe start with that and then we'll finish with with technicalities here but how, how did you build your 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 listener base we were very lucky in that we had the support of dan snow and the history hit network and what we had was a professional production team we had a fast track to acast which um which is a platform, but also which provides advertising and revenue that can support the, the podcast. Um, Sam Willis, also as a TV historian, had a huge social media following. So that really helped. We had a really good producer at the beginning who knew exactly what he was doing and was running this network. And so the network was built up. And for a while, there were about five different podcasts that were all advertising each other. So you're part of this sort of big brand and you're benefiting from that. And one of the things that we benefited from was being able to get exposure on iTunes. So we featured in the new and noteworthy. We had people that knew exactly how to get you up the ratings for that. And so that, that really helped. So I think probably that isn't, some, isn't something that everyone can do because it's quite, it's, you know, you need though the network and the contacts to be able to do that. If you're doing it by yourselves, it's actually relatively easy. Um, 
the smartphone has basically democratized podcasting in a way that is so accessible. So the simplest thing you can do is if you have an iPhone, and I'm not plugging iPhones here, but if you have an iPhone, you can simply record into a into a into a smartphone. So if you record, you can either you can record into an app. Uh, called voice record, which is what I use, and you can simply speak into the into the phone. If you're a little more technical, and you have a, a wonderful mic here um, in front of us, so you you can you can have a microphone. Um, you can buy a lapel mic pretty cheaply for about fifty pounds that will plug into a, a smartphone. Uh, if you're doing uh, if you're actually doing uh, a face to face podcast. If you have an adapter, you can plug two, two um, microphones into that, and then you get two tracks. If you have a producer, they can then roll that together. If you're doing it by your, if you're doing it simply by yourself, and you don't have that sort of technical expertise, I suggest a single mic like we're using here, and then it's very easy to to edit that. Now, once you've got that, what you need to do is establish yourself on iTunes which is very easy. You just Google this and it will tell you exactly how to do that. And then you, you upload it onto iTunes and then you have the platform there. And that is free. The thing then to do is once you've got it up there, you need to tell people about it. And so what you need is a... I would recommend three things that you do. You set up a Twitter account. You then set up an Instagram account and then you set up a Facebook account. And what you do is you cross-post on all of these. And if you have something like Hootsuite, which is a decking tool, uh, what it means is that you can set these up so that they, they, are, they go out at particular times. And you build a following, um, you build a following quite slowly. Um, if you Google online, you know, how to grow your podcast, there are tons of top tips. Uh, about this, um, we have a we actually have an intern, brilliant, brilliant intern, who's one of our PhD students, who has been working with us for the last two years on this, and is learning is learning impact as she as she goes. So she's sort of part of the of the family, um, and she is an absolute genius. And she takes the podcast and she writes an introduction to them far better than we could do. I mean, she's just she's a genius with that. And so that then goes on our on our website. Um, but what she's very good at is tweet is when the podcast comes out is tweeting it out, so that you so that you have a link to the podcast and you tag certain people in. So this podcast that we're doing today, when you launch this, you'll tag me in. I will then retweet it. It will go to my network and it will go to your network. So and that links us to another way of growing. So rather than just growing your audience, so rather than just having yourself sort of talking out into the ether, what you do is you promote that to your network, but then if you have somebody else, a guest on it, what you're doing is you're then promoting your research to their network as well. And if you do that again and again and again, you can build up quite a following. But then also the key, the key thing with, with podcasting and the tweeting out of it is actually... And your book is very good about about social media and how to hit um, um, how to hit um, you know key uh, newsworthy times and and anniversaries and all of those kinds of things and make it relevant and contemporary. You know, you try and make sure that the podcast and the content that you're podcasting about is hitting those kinds of you know 
topical themes that people are talking about. And that's a way of, if you have a back catalogue of podcasts, also it's a way of it's a way of pointing people back to the podcast. So we did something on the history of the follower. And so we are, what are we at the moment? We are the 20th of June, 2019. And there is a Tory leadership contest. And so what we did was we tweeted a picture of Boris Johnson doing something very silly, um, a sort of gif of him uh, with a sort of link back to our podcast on the follower. So it was a way of promoting the back catalogue. So there's a way of sort of, you know, of growing the listenership. And of course, you can do that with social media as well. Yes. When you have these influencers, I'm going to interview you on my podcast, and that then goes out to your network. Um, but I'm also working that in terms of influencers who I'm asking to uh, promote this to their networks uh, via social media and, and just growing this. I think there's an element of just uh, being in it for the long haul, um, but at the same time, knowing when to give up if actually you are uh, consistently uh, tweeting, blogging, uh, podcasting into into the emptiness. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like you said, lots of people out there with great tips uh, and ideas about how you can do this. So you've given us a, a couple of tips on, um, on the technicalities of this, uh, technicalities of this. We've uh, both got a producer to help us. Uh, I have to confess, I can't remember how much I pay for uh, my producer. He, he bills us uh, every few months, and um, I think it probably works out about £50 per episode or something yeah, like that. Something like that. Um, and you can find people like this online, uh, and I think that it gives you a polish, a professionalism that uh, that really helps. Uh, I don't ask Dan to edit out all of my errs and ums. I think that's part of the... the the, the medium is it's, it's more informal, uh, but uh, but just in terms of the sound quality and the levels and all this kind of stuff, it really does make a difference. So, can you do it without a, a producer? Should you do it without a producer? Uh, what are some of the other things that, that that you will really need to make this this work? I think you can. I think you can do it. You just need to be. You just need to be sure that you're somewhere quiet, like a small office that is book lined. So you don't want any sort of outside outside noise. Talking into a microphone, if you're sort of talking away from it, it's no good, and and the sound the sound is very odd. Um, I think if you if you use a smartphone, if you have if you're very low budget, uh, if you use a smartphone with a microphone and you talk into it in a quiet space as we're doing now, I think the sound quality will be absolutely fine, and it's not too difficult to spend a couple of hours just learning how to edit and then going through and just simply editing it. And I think it, once, once you've got over that hurdle, I think you can, I mean, I say this not having done it, um, but I think you can, I am reliably informed, I think you can get it down to a fine art so that you, depends how long the podcast is, but if you've got three quarters of an hour of podcast, it may take an hour to sort of go through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the other things that uh, the people uh, worry about, I think, with this is, well, I start, I've now got a commitment, I'm doing this every week. I haven't got 12 weeks yeah. of material yeah. in me. Um, and, um, and and I think what, what amazes me, you've got 300 in the, in, the, uh, in the wings waiting, and that's because you went to your audience and you said, what do you want to, to hear? Absolutely. 
Uh, and maybe you can't do all of them and uh, and they're sitting on, on a back burner until you work out how you might be able to do them. But uh, if you've got a passion for this and you make a start on this and you start asking your audience what they want, uh, I'd be surprised if you, uh, if you run out of material after 12. And you know what? My view is if you do run out of material, better to stop and say, well, that was season one rather than start talking drivel. Uh, but uh, but yeah, easier uh, easier than I think you might you might think. Any final tips uh, for academics researchers who are thinking, yeah, this that's exciting. I, I'd like to do this. Uh, I can see technically how you might do this. I'm getting a sense of how I might be able to build an audience and and start reaching some of the people I want to benefit from this. What would be the the key things you would say if you're hesitating and thinking uh, maybe not? Why why use a podcast to reach people for your research? I think I think be brave. You know, just grasp that opportunity. It's there. And you have, no, you have nothing to lose with it. Um, and you are going to reach a much broader audience through it. So, I, you know, I mean, it's, it, actually, it's been one of the most enjoyable things that I've done. And when I haven't podcasted for a bit, I actually miss it. You know, and it, it's now become a sort of, you know, really enjoyable part of what I do. Um, I wasn't very good at first. And one of the best pieces of advice... One of the best pieces of advice that I was given was when I turned up to record in Sam's noisy kitchen uh, for the first time and I'd got all these notes. And the first thing he did was scrumpled up the paper, threw them away and said, you'll be much better without those. So my comfort blanket was gone. And I think it's that it's it's having that sort of easy, that easy relationship with the microphone and your audience and it's not i think the most challenging thing for the for the academic is actually not do is actually communicating with a different audience from your peers and as you said at the outset there are so many academic podcasts that are effectively just recordings of lectures and its dissemination and in fact what i think what what is what you need to try is a kind of new method of communication so you're communicating to a different audience in a different way and and I think that that's something that is important. You know, you, you can't stand up there as if you're in a lecture theatre and and profess to people. Um, enjoyable though that is, but you've got to engage with people in a in a different way. So my advice would be be brave, throw away the notes, and think about style and delivery. And also related to what you were saying earlier on about about the sort of the the, the, the point about building this into your life, you know, don't set yourself the task of doing a daily or weekly podcast if, you know, if that doesn't work. What I would recommend is I would recommend recording a bank of podcasts at the beginning before you release it and then maybe think about whether this is something that will come out monthly. Because if, if you're building your listenership and you tell them at, at the front this is going to be a monthly podcast, you've got time. And you can build more content by, as we were saying earlier on, by getting guests on, getting colleagues on. You know, so if, you are a, if you're a department, you may want to set up a departmental podcast. Universities have, you know, have, have their own podcasts. So there are different ways. If, you, if you're listening to this and you want to you know, get, get involved in podcasts, maybe guest on somebody else's podcast to start with. You know, see, how you, see how you like it. Yeah, ask them how it works for them, what they do, take some exactly. tips, take some tips from them. Uh, I think for me, the, the podcast as a medium is, is, is unusual compared to many of the other types of 
engagement that, that we might be able to choose from uh, because it's so relational. Um, and when I meet people who listen to my podcast, uh, it's different to the kind of uh, starting off point that you might have someone who you might have connected with through Twitter or through some other platform. There's a, there's a sense that you know me, I know you. Um, and and I think when you say about this being something that democratizes knowledge, I think it makes it more approachable. It makes us more approachable. And uh, here we are professors within our ivory tower, but you have the sense that, yeah, this is actually just, it's a dude just like me or you. And because you threw away the notes, uh, you're stumbling over some of your words and you made the odd mistake and you're not quite sure. And yeah, I can relate to you. And, and actually after this event that you've just been at, I'm gonna come up and I'm gonna actually talk to you. I'm not frightened yeah. of talking to you. And, and you dive straight in at a level of conversation which is way deeper than it would otherwise be. And, and for me, this is at the heart of what works within impact. It works when you open channels of empathy, when this is fundamentally relational. And for me, this is one of the most relational modes of engagement that, that there is. Yeah, I mean, one of the big barriers for universities doing impact is the, is, you know, the impenetrability of you know, academic language. And you know, pr the professor you know, is a sort of you know, a revered figure. And, and it's, breaking, though, it's breaking that down. And it's actually academics being comfortable in their own skin and being confident enough not to sort of hide behind the, you know, the, vo the vocabulary and the conceptual language and to actually talk to people in a very sort of down-to-earth way. And I think that's what, people, that's what people really like. And that is how you engage with an audience. And what a great uh, preparation ground then for then being able to take this into schools and onto the stage. And, and I, I'm guessing that you would have found that very, very difficult had you not had the preparation that the podcast gave you in terms of how to communicate this in those kinds of terms. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think having having now recorded 120 podcasts, you know, I, you just become, you know, you just become used to it and you're able to talk off the cuff in a way that you that you normally you know, you normally wouldn't. It gives you a kind of, you know, sort of confidence in being able to do that. Absolutely. Great. I will still aspire to the one and a half million uh, downloads per year uh, one day, <laughs> perhaps decades from now. Um, but, uh, but for me, this has been hugely inspiring. And I hope that for, for those of you listening, that you're inspired to, to, if nothing else, go and listen to James's podcast. Um, Historiesoftheunexpected.com. Uh, that is exactly. At Unexpected Pod. Very good. So you can go and do that and, um, and enjoy. I will certainly be doing that. Uh, I'm inspired. And, uh, and whether or not you're interested in history, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to discover you're interested in history. Um, and, uh, and you'll also get some, some great lessons in just how to communicate what you might think is uncommunicable to the general public. Podcasting isn't going to be for everyone, but I hope that this has given you a flavour of what might potentially be possible if you were to start your own podcast. This is a medium that gives you a chance to learn the ropes of how to communicate your research in a fairly uh, low-risk environment. Uh, it's a, a place where you can engage with your publics, your stakeholders, the people who you think might benefit from your research to a level of personal relationship that is very difficult to achieve through any other medium, even uh, social media. 
And perhaps as a result of that, this is a medium that has the potential to achieve levels of impact that are genuinely inspiring. And if you found the kinds of impact that James has got from his podcast inspiring, then I would encourage you to add this to your toolkit. Uh, consider whether, in fact, this is something that you might be able to do based on your research to reach new audiences and achieve new impacts.